I don't know if it was the wisest decision I've ever had. I, I came into 2022 wanting to, you know, level up my fitness a little bit after the pandemic, after an ankle injury. And the Goggins challenge sort of crossed my path. And it's this challenge where you run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Um, so in total, 48 miles. But, you know, as a part of that, you're having to manage sleep and nutrition and hydration in these really small sort of chunks rather than just running the, the straight 48 miles. And as a non-runner who would probably maybe run five miles in total in one sitting. Um, I thought that this could be fun. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpri. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpri's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe balm today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today has her degree in behavioral psychology. She's a former competitive equestrian athlete, um, currently the EY Global Lead at Athlete Programs and Women Athletes Business Network. You can find her on Twitter at Christy P. Ingram. Welcome to the show, Christy Ingram. Thank you, Jesse. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for coming on. Um, we, we've, you know, we've covered a lot of ground before we got recording. Um, yeah. I mean, however much time we've talked now, uh, today and the other day, I don't know. We, we probably had a whole conversation that we could have recorded by now. Um, so sorry to you, the listener. You missed out on all the juicy secrets. We're just going to do the boring stuff, and you know, not not do anything interesting. No, ho- no. Hopefully, we're going to get some really good stuff. But um, so I. I want to jump back to something we had talked about the other day uh, sure. on a personal note for you. And I want to ask you about doing the Goggins challenge um, for the uninitiated. Can you explain what it is, yeah. why you decided to do such a thing? Um, and then kind of the aftermath that we were, we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, I don't know if it was the wisest decision I've ever had. I, I came into 2022 wanting to, you know, level up my fitness a little bit after the pandemic, after an ankle injury. And the Goggins challenge sort of crossed my path. And it's this challenge where you run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Um, So in total, 48 miles. But, you know, as a part of that, you're having to manage sleep and nutrition and hydration in these really small sort of chunks rather than just running the the straight 48 miles. And as a non-runner, who would probably maybe run five miles in total in one sitting. Um, I thought that this could be fun. Um, And it's a weird form of fun. I I feel um, really happy that I made it through. I know I surprised a bunch of my friends um, in actually completing it, but it was one of those things. I I needed a goal uh, in the first sort of few months of the year. And um, I'm great at procrastinating, so I needed a short-term goal to not let myself kind of get distracted or, or slack off in, in training. And 
undertook this and uh, it's it it was an amazing kind of experience but the the hilarious part for me anyway was I ran the 48th mile and then went oh I haven't thought about how to recover <laughs> what do I do now do I sit down and put my feet in ice I'm not I'm not quite sure how to do this so it's been a, an interesting you know couple of couple of well month now um really bringing bringing the legs back and apologizing to them profusely for for what I did <laughs> <laughs> the format of it reminds me of these like um they're kind of growing in popularity they're still I would still say a niche part of running is these like mm -hmm. last man standing style yes. races where yeah. it's like you just have to complete a loop in an hour whatever whatever the format right. is whether it's six miles an hour four miles an hour yeah. or whatever the time is yeah and then you just keep doing that until there's only one person still yeah. going that's exactly what that reminds me of it, it, it yeah it's a different kind i haven't done one yet um but it's a different kind of game than a continuous run because the start so. and stop nature i think is probably both helpful and harmful yeah after sort of the first 12 hours oh well, i mean i i didn't cruise through the first 24 but the first 24 were manageable um given that i'm not really a runner mm -hmm. um but after that getting getting back and moving after sitting down for a couple of hours trying to you know stretch and and relax and, and give your body a, a chance to to uh rest it getting back on on the road it, it increasingly became a longer and longer warm-up um mm -hmm. to to feel good in that four miles so but no you're you're right look I don't think I could run 48 straight mm -hmm. I I just you know and also that's not what I was training for but yeah get and getting the mind back to be like hey we need to focus we need to do this let's you know crank it out um it wasn't easy towards that second night was uh was an interesting <laughs> mental battle um mm -hmm. to to get through we're, i imagine you were taking at some point like trying to fit in what i'll refer to as power naps yes. instead of being like oh, i'm gonna stay yep. up for 48 hours and oh, also no. yeah i i'm very lucky i am a champion of napping so um, that is a skill I've had my whole life. So luckily I was able to, you know, uh, the first night was a lot of adrenaline, so I didn't really sleep much, but so towards the second afternoon, I was able to get, you know, an hour and a half or so um, in between, which was enough to, to kind of get you, get you through it. Yeah, yeah. Although those 2 a.m. runs were still not, not that easy when your body was just like, why, why are we not in bed now? <laughs> yeah I, I can i mean like i can only imagine since i haven't done yeah. it and i haven't done the that format before but just i you I know mean, I've, I, I've run it all times a day so i, I kind of know like yeah like this morning i was out at five and it's just your body is just the optimal time of day supposedly is is like mid-afternoon in yeah. terms of like how limber you are yeah and kind of the rhythms of your body's daily cycle yeah and so just thinking about there have been times when you just have like a magical midnight kind of workout um but largely in the middle of the night yes. you're gonna be just like suffering just stiff yeah. you don't want to move you want to go to sleep it's dark 
There's, so and kudos in, to you for making it through. Thank you. And in New York City, obviously, I was running alone for a lot of it. I'm yeah. not going out on the road in New York in the middle of the night um, from a safety perspective. So those were my treadmill runs. Yeah. Which are... Uh, which, then, yeah, it makes it even tougher. <laughs> it does. It does. There were some good Netflix shows that got me. That's what I was going to say. It's like, now you got to be like, what shows are you watching? Like, how are you keeping yourself engaged? (laughs) So, yeah, no, it was, uh, it it was, it was fun. I mean, the nutrition was the top part. And as a triathlete, I'm sure you know this, that once you get to a certain point in, you know, especially a lengthy kind of um, exercise stint, you don't really feel like eating but you Mm -hmm. know that you that's when you really need the nutrition right so that was my my main battle the the mental aspect and then the nutrition yeah I I haven't gone for that long I used to race the like Ironman 70.3 series Mm -hmm. um and the training rides would be like five hours and I go out for 30 or 40 minute run after that um so you know out for some time but not you know not a 48 hour stint and I always felt like it was always a balance between like hydration and fuel. Yeah. Because if, and this is why we like developed this new sports drink line, which we won't get into because it's mm-hmm. shows about you, but just, I wouldn't have that hydration part. Right. And so I get dehydrated and thus like, I wouldn't want to eat because my body was like, no, I need water. Like, yeah, give me the water. And yeah. So I always felt like, if I took care of that component first, it was easier to take in fuel. Not that like, not that it's always easy, um, but just like if you don't have your whole thing going, then it, one can screw up the other and vice Very versa. Very much so. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Bucket list checked. Um, <laughs> on, on to the next weird one. I'm not sure what that is yet. Yeah um so then um, maybe we have to back up and ask you about how do you get from equestrian to the goggins challenge because you know you go from uh i guess i don't recall whether i'd asked you were, were you like hunter jumper kind of equestrian like what what were you doing mainly dressage okay um, i i like precision generally in as a personality trait of mine i'm I, I like um, things very uh, detailed and, you know, it can be quite analytical. And so dressage was uh, my, my sport of choice. Uh, can, I know what dressage is. I spent a little bit of time. That's the only time I've taken horseback riding lessons was a year in college with a, a dressage lady with uh, American Saddlebreds. So mm-hmm. I have a little bit of background in it, not nearly as deep as yours. Can you yeah. give a little bit more info for the listener on what that entails? I mean, I, I think it's changed a lot over, over the years in, in terms of um, its kind of popularity. I know Kevin Hart and Snoop Dogg did some great commentary uh, at the Tokyo <laughs> Olympics around it. So a lot of people might know it a little bit more. It's the dancing on horses, but really it has its roots in a military background. These movements really came from what you needed to teach the horses, you know, back World War One, pre-World War One, in in order to have them move where you needed to move and avoid um, <laughs> other people on horses. Um, 
So these these movements really have a, a long history in them, but they have to be very precise. It's you move to a certain part of the arena, you do you know a 180 at a certain tempo, then you're changing directions really quick. Um, so it's it's a lot of fast sort of fast changes between movements. Um, but honestly, for the rider, the hut, obviously you, you train your horse and you spend many, many years to get to an Olympic level for that. But the rider's job is to look like they're doing nothing, but be doing everything and giving the horse all the cues. So that's uh, it's a, it's a little bit of like sleight of hand kind of, uh, yeah. you, it looks like you're sort of just sitting there, but this horse doesn't know where it's going or what it's doing. So um, it really is the rider. Um, doing it with, with very minimal, small movements. It, to that notion, so if you, the listener, have ever, or, or in the U.S., I guess I should say, mm -hmm. and have been, ever been on like a uh, tail of the snout kind of horseback ride that is typically available to, we'll mm -hmm. say, pedestrians, sure. it's not like yeah. that at all, <laughs> uh, at least in my opinion. I love you to tell me I'm wrong, but I noticed one of the things I I had gone from taking these lessons back to you know kind of more in that setting with the like the yeah. Western style trained horses, yeah. and the biggest thing I missed was just like basically the ability to ask the horse to do something by like moving your pinky, you know, yeah. just like just that very subtle because. Um, uh, so you obviously could explain this better than I can, but um, there, as I understand it, the general difference in like bit control. So the horse has a bit in its mm -hmm. mouth with equestrian uh, for English style riding, like dressage, there's, yeah. there's contact with the horse's mouth at all times, yes. pretty much in Western, it's really loose and it's yes. bigger, broader motions to ask the yep. horse to do things. Yep. Um, so I always felt like, like the saddlebreds that I rode in dressage and just it was a little bit more I would consider like sports car tuning like yep. hot you know high performance like Absolutely. you gotta know what you're doing or they're like the horses get frustrated and they're like what why are you oh, saying what are you asking me to do yeah, yeah if if you're you know have a little too much pressure on your knee or your foot is an inch or half an inch too far back then that just that doesn't mean anything to the horse so they won't end up doing anything um but yeah it is it's extremely small you know even sort of like your hip placements mm. all that sort of stuff they they can feel all of that um so you know it, it's yeah it's the very small fine tuning pieces I like the race car analogy um in in order to make sure that they're they're going in the right direction they're they're doing the movement correctly um because ultimately they are still a, a giant animal so they get frustrated they're really going to do what they want so you know that's why the years and and years of training and the relationship that the rider has with the horse is so important yeah it just in like the rider skill matters so much I know like mm. as I got a little bit better I she kind of had a you know series of horses obviously from like the beginner one that's way more forgiving yeah. to the <laughs> At, you know more show horses yeah um you know i would she'd like take me back to use like the beginner ones again after i'd gotten mm -hmm. better and then you can like after you've gotten better they respond so much easier 
Absolutely. Yeah. Oh so my it's, goodness. It's, it's an interesting way to notice that like you've become a better writer. Like, oh, I've increased my skill level because yeah. I can make this horse do, you know, step to the side. Whereas before it, it would just ignore me. So, yeah. 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 And they do. They love ignoring you. They're like, <laughs> no, it's not exactly the right command in the right tone of voice. <laughs> I'm not moving. Yeah. So I would like for you, the listener, if you have any interest at all um, in writing, try to find some English style lessons, whatever it is, um, just experience the difference. Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed it as a college student. I was fortunate that there was a class that was offered. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a different experience than I think most people in North America have as the perception of like riding a horse because most of it's you know like the western mythology yeah. now right right the barrel races and all that yeah. sort of stuff which is super fun yeah uh, but no it's it's one of those intra it's technically listed as an individual sport but i don't know if you've ever tried to make a horse do something it doesn't want to do it's 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 not there for the party so <laughs> it, it is not not an individual sport so that relationship building style um i'm biased obviously because i love horses but it's uh it's it's a, a wonderful kind of experience when uh you have a, a good bond with a horse so i want to transition a little bit thinking about you know the time you spent in sport what you're doing now how that all relates yeah. together so we want to talk about i want to ask you a little bit about ey sure. um who are they? What are they doing? Uh, yeah. Why Why were they, I don't know if it was partnered or sponsored with the Olympics for, for Rio. How, how did that all come about? We, when we, yeah. Before we got going, you mentioned, you know, in that situation, you're, I think you mentioned, and please correct me, the, mm -hmm. you guys are the, the only basically private company that was in some of those conversations um, with the IOC or something at the time. You'll, you'll correct me. I, I'm, I'm spouting off. I'm trying to get you uh, <laughs> to where I'd like you to talk about it. So, um, ignore me listen sure. listen to Christy she'll she'll set the record straight no I mean so um, back at, as the Rio 2016 Olympics was approaching EY um, signed a, a local sponsorship uh, in Brazil for those games and we were the professional uh, EY in general is a professional services company so providing everything from audit to tax to consulting services um, around the world where we're one of the big four um, so you've likely seen a lot of our buildings around, but may not actually know who we are. Um, so as a, a, a consulting arm of that, we uh, signed this local sponsorship uh, for the Rio Olympics. And really where, where we obviously we had the consulting services and, and you know, whether it was supporting the local organizing committee with their project management, their finance, their infrastructure um, of the city getting prepared for the Olympics. There was a, a lot of uh, deep and detailed work that went on there. But as a part of that sponsorship, we, we had these rights um, around the, the, the rings and, and the Olympics to really promote um, a, a platform of discussion uh, where we wanted to to bring something to unite business and sport and where we landed on and, and this piece of research is the anchor to, to the programs today is looking at 
front foot female athletes, athletes in general, but how um, sport translates into the business world. And the piece of research we did was interviewing C-suite women across industry around the world, and 94% of them had sport in their background. And that clear sort of correlation between skills learned on the field uh, and how they translate into the boardroom was was really where we wanted to hang our hat on and how we've developed the program since then. So um, that's where I got involved. I was consulting in Canada at the time and moved to New York to, to help um, build that sponsorship and, and build this conversation around knowing that athletes make great business leaders, but they're not necessarily at the rate that they should be finding their way into the business world. And, and it's that piece of transition as as an athlete moves off the field that it seems to be the sticking point. So globally, we've developed programs to support athletes to find their, their next career. Um, we've hired, gosh, I think it's over 70 Olympians and Paralympians elite athletes into EY around the world now. Um, the programs, obviously, we'll, we can go into that, have developed over the years, but really it, it started in Rio um, and we, we seemed to be the only kind of business that was looking at supporting athletes in this way. And we had some great discussions with the International Olympic Committee, other sporting bodies, business leaders, all in Rio um, that, that has you know, set us up quite uniquely in terms of the work that we're doing with athletes. So um, it, it's been a really exciting time, very, um, uh, purposeful work from my my standpoint I, I take great pride in what we do and and seeing the athletes you know come into EY and we have mentoring programs externally as well for athlete entrepreneurs um, it's it's been great to see them take the the information and and put it in their little um, professional tool belt and, and learn how to uh, really um capitalize on on these skills that they have so one of the things in, in the kind of the research um you had sent me or that's it's yeah. on the ey website that you know you guys can look at um let me see if there's like a quick uh we'll, we'll put the no, link down in the description it's, it's ey uh, the the website the, no no no. i'll show like the, the page address? specifically with the with the research to like just make it easy to type in it's so it's the english oh, yeah. language version which makes it it's ey.com slash en underscore gl slash athlete dash programs we do have a vanity url so it's just ey.com yeah. forward slash athlete programs and okay. that'll, that'll redirect you there okay that's all i was like i was yeah. looking at the urls like oh, i was like the english language oh, version. i know so i know I was like that's that's gonna make that a little bit more difficult <laughs> the joys of big company websites they, <laughs> they always kind of direct you uh left right and center right yeah well so so if for some reason you, the listener, speak another language and that's your preference, it looks like there, there is an option here for yes. you to, to do that um, yeah. should you yeah. not speak English. Um, yeah. So, you know, accessible. <laughs> but so looking through that, um, like you mentioned, 94% of C-suite mm -hmm. women having some kind of sport background. Um, this is like, uh, I don't know if there's a polite way to ask this, um, so, and I don't mean it, it to, to be a jerk, but just like, mm -hmm. why aren't non-athletic women 
succeeding i'm putting that in quotes for if you're not listening to the youtube version or you're not watching the youtube version yeah you know why why is it that sport you know if we can create yeah. some kind of causality here because yeah it's hard to make that inference i know but if we want to make that if we, we want to make that jump yeah. um you know what would you attribute that to and in, in like why are non-sport women not as quote-unquote successful yeah um in this particular realm yeah i don't i don't know if it's that they're not successful i just think the athlete's skill set that is learned on the field increases the speed at which they make it to those leadership positions so you know i i don't think it's uh well if you don't have sport you're you know (laughs) you're doomed in professional i i i really do think that it just adds to you know a a leader's ability one to reach those leadership positions more quickly and and to do it in in a um in a way that is unique I, I would say so it's just a different path um and and we've seen that in our own athletes in terms of you know we've had athletes a, a lot of our athletes hit their promotions quicker than others I, I think it's it's just um it's a little leg up I think it's like Sorry, as you're watching me scroll on the screen, I'm trying to go back through some of like we have a lot of research. So there's a lot of research. I was like, I was like trying it. to find like, like there were things I I had like pointed out in my brain. And I'm trying to look yeah. and find it so that I'm not mis- no. misquoting anything. I mean, I think for the people that are listening here, you know, if you are an athlete, you get this. This is not rocket science, and this is not something new that we're telling athletes. Going, hey, you know, your skill set helps. I think for us, especially in the business world, um, broadly, and I, I use that term very broadly, it, you so you need the research and the numbers to back you up. You mm-hmm. need to build that business case. And I think any of us have who have been athletes at any level um, have that gut feeling going, yeah, it absolutely helps you. You ask anybody. Um, but what has really moved the needle for us is actually putting the numbers behind it ironically EY is an accounting company so numbers are important but that's honestly that's really where we have gotten a lot of conversations started is because we have put and I don't know if you you can go to the causation part but the correlation is really really strong and and that's where we sort of start a lot of the discussions be it about talent diversity be it about gender equity i think there's there's many places that those numbers can take you what i wonder about um and again i'm probing out of curiosity not out of spite um i wonder so in my brain i i feel like i see this um what's the word i'm looking for this image or this uh mm-hmm. gosh stereotype there we go mm-hmm. get my brain yep. to work there's sure. stereotype of like if a woman's in charge she's this like bossy bitch and mm-hmm. nobody likes her and but mm-hmm. you know then like if a man does the same thing it's totally fine yeah so i think about the skills and that's required to be a leader. And I think mm-hmm. you and I would agree that 
I think obviously that sport yeah. helps teach those skills. Yeah. So I wonder if and I think I think the website touches on this a little bit. Mm-hmm. If the ability for women to rise to you know their potential, if that's their goal to be a C-suite yeah. executive, yeah, um, is in part by having that common language because. Yeah so many men compete in sports and competitive men tend to mm-hmm. go into business um, yeah. because we can't literally be, I mean, we become fathers, but we can't be mothers, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole different role. So I, 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 this is a sidebar, but somewhat related. I remember a friend at one time mentioning to me, like women have children, men build businesses because they can't have children. Mm-hmm. So just thinking about like that paradigm, um, Anyway, I wonder if sport gives a common language between the genders and then makes it less of a disparity and less of that stereotypical, yeah. like, uh, like she's a bitch for doing this or that. Like, mm-hmm. it, do I have any thread of, of truth or re- <laughs> like relevance here or am I just like spouting nonsense? Please help me out. No, I mean, I, I think there is a common language of sport and not to be cliche, but sport is a universal language. It, it doesn't matter whether you're, um, you know, in the favelas in Brazil or on a soccer field here in New York City. If you're playing football, you're playing football and you're learning skills mm. of sport. So, you know, the, the spoken language doesn't really, really matter. But I, I think there are themes that come out to level that playing field. And Sure, there there might be some gender stereotypes around them, but I think the self-confidence, the grit, the purpose um, are are sort of agnostic of gender or sex. Um, I I really think that um, these skills do a leader well, irrespective of sort of who they are or the industry that they're in as well, because we have a lot of industry sort of stereotypes that can play into leadership positions too. But yeah, like I said, that, that... the grit, the purpose, the resilience, which has, you know, in the, especially in the last couple of years, been in the word of the minute to, to know how to be resilient, know how to um, be agile, you know, both in business and for your teams. Uh, and I, I think there's a, a level of an athlete, um, irrespective of gender, they know how to put their teams together to, to you know, really capitalize on the skill sets that they have they know how to put their players on the field um you know theoretically so (laughs) I I think I think those kind of traits span across everybody Mm -hmm. it I mean to me it seems like uh, you know I, I did for the longest time and I still do kind of because I come from a running background espouse mm-hmm. the idea that like running is life and there, there's all these you know <laughs> parables and analogies you can have between yeah. the language of running and the language of life or business awesome. um but sometimes i i wonder about and this was a, a question so i have we'll get to this year's question in a bit but mm-hmm. i have a question at the end of each episode where i i ask people the same question for an entire year and sure. a couple seasons ago i asked everybody what's the purpose of sport yeah and you know i got a lot of different answers but one of them i think is possibly teaching life skills 
right? It's, it's a relatively safe um, in that consequences of failing pretty low, generally speaking, like yeah. you, know, you lost yeah. or, you know, like obviously some people- the ego, but right, it's but not like, going to change your life necessarily. Yeah, right. You're probably not going to become destitute unless you like yep. illegally bet on your own team and bet, bet the house or something. Um, but just like, it, it, it's this place that we can work on some of those soft skills, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely working in a team, being yeah. a leader, being a follower, yeah. Yeah. knowing when to step up, when to step back, how to communicate effectively. Mm-hmm. Like all of those things are important, whether you're uh, in a small business entrepreneur like I am, or whether yeah. you're going to work for a Fortune 100 company. Mm-hmm. Like you're still, no matter what you're doing, you're dealing with people, right? Absolutely. So sometimes I think about maybe, maybe that's the ultimate purpose of sport is like really being this kind of playground for these life skills for us in many different facets. 100%. And and I think one of the most important, you know, you listed a lot of them, but one of the most important that I see is learning how to fail and Mm -hmm. taking that failure as feedback um, and being able to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and course correct and move on. And that's be it in a, a football game, be it in a business meeting, because not all of those uh, go as planned as well, but being able to sort of take the L and and learn from it is, look, I, I think it's one of the most critical life skills, not letting it end, um, end with the loss, making sure that, that yeah, it's, you, you have to fall, uh, get it back up more times than you fall down. Yeah. I mean, you, you had an easy pickup there with you fall off the horse and you get sorry. back on. <laughs> yes. If you didn't go with it, I don't I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I figured <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll look for another place to put in a riding analogy. There's plenty of them. <laughs> Lead a horse perfect to water. <laughs> I could, we couldn't have had a better setup for that. No. Um... I think. <laughs> I've fallen off a lot of times. Maybe I don't want to relive that. <laughs> that was the only thing I thought. I was like, maybe you're like, oh, no, it's, it's, it hurts more than we than people let on. It does. It does. <laughs> you learn how to do it well, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I would hope. Well, I, I mean, I would hope you minimize the falling off. Um, but possible, yes. You as you said, failure is feedback. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, now we've gotten off course. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So I did, before we run out of time, I did want to ask you a little bit. Um, I I want to ask you a little bit about, you mentioned like EY has developed various programs over time. Um, so trying to get my head around all of what, what it is that they and you do, Mm -hmm. um, are you going out knowing now, you know, Mm -hmm. you've got the numbers to back it up knowing now that, okay, the vast, the overwhelming majority, not just yeah. vast majority of C-suite women are, have yeah. some kind of sport background. Are you going out to like youth to advocate, hey, let's get you into sport? Mm-hmm. Are you, I think you mentioned, you know, trying to support uh, Olympians as they retire. 
what it is what is it that you guys are actually doing to try to foster this environment i guess absolutely so i mean look it's a it spans from you know kids who are five six years old to you know multiple time olympians potentially in in their 30s um in their 40s looking for a a new career so it, it's a it's a big playing field that we're covering mm-hmm. you know we really you know from the ey perspective our focus is on athletes who are um moving into that next chapter whether they want a professional career whether they're starting a business but we absolutely see the value in making sure that kids stay in sport and young girls in particular drop out of sport more at a, a much higher rate in their sort of tween, early teen years. And it is so incredibly important uh, to make sure that we're working with organizations who specifically work in those areas, like the Women's Sports Foundation um, here in, in the US and headquartered in New York. We, we have a wonderful relationship with them and they're doing great work in making sure that for um, young girls, sport remains a priority. Um, we know actually a piece of research that we did a while ago, and it's probably buried in, in one of the reports we have, um, if girls stay in their sport, uh, playing sport, just at, at a school level, it doesn't even have to be competitive, their post-college salary is 7% higher just by staying in sport. So there are so, and like we've just been talking, the life skills, there are so many great lessons uh, to be learned, and there are, are wonderful organizations working to make sure that that young athletes are supported um be it weekend warriors or those that are looking at you know going on to professional sports uh for us it's really making sure that we're tapping into athletes at that you know as they're looking towards retirement which Mm -hmm. i know can be a, a superstitious word but Um, we want to be having those relationships and conversations with athletes for as long as we can and when they do decide to step off the field is when we sort of enact our programs and and transition support but you know we've obviously been doing this for a little while so athletes are coming to know us Um, but we also do go looking for athletes you know as a as any big business would be facing right now the war on talent is making sure that we're getting people with the right skill sets, the right mindsets, um, diverse backgrounds uh, is really important to to make for a successful team and a successful business and athletes are a part of that. So we do proactively seek um, athletes as well when we see business opportunities that that could fit an athlete's skill set. I think it's good to know that there's at least somebody or an organization out there to help help that transition. I've had a number of uh, Olympians on the show over the years, and I seemingly always ask them about the transition because I know it's it can be difficult. I mean, even for people who weren't Olympians, who were collegiate athletes, who were high school athletes, Absolutely. Yeah. whatever it was, it just that that moment of demarcation where you're no longer part of that team or that club mm-hmm. or, or that sport that you had identified with for so long. And I asked the Olympians because often they've been in it the longest. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's even more ingrained. And I ask about it just because 
I think we talked about this uh, before we were recording. Um, just the idea of transitions that we we all go through transitions. Absolutely. Regardless yep. of whether you ever did sport or not, and if you're listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. then likely you did um, or do. But that's another life skill. I feel like it's like understanding deeply that you are more than your sport, your job, your title, your whatever, and that you have the ability to reinvent yourself if you want to look at it that way, Mm -hmm. but also not tie your self-worth to, I'll say, output. It's it's difficult, and you know, for so many years, especially once they get to the professional or Olympic level, your descriptor as a person has been your sport mm-hmm. you know hi I'm Christy I'm an equestrian or whatever you know whatever it might be it is how you describe yourself and naturally it is wrapped in the identity and that is absolutely okay but as an athlete being able to see that you're more than that you don't have to get rid of it and and it's something that I talk to all of our athletes about it's like please don't forget your sporting experience once you've been in the working world it's the first thing to get dropped off a resume or your LinkedIn profile like your skills are still really valuable but how you talk about them is what probably needs to change a little bit you know and and having it be a piece of you but not the whole of you um I I think from a uh you know uh mental transition piece and it's hard it's really hard because they do lose their identity um, and and some are m- more adept at, at figuring out who they are beyond that and, and others, others struggle and, and that's why we want to be supporting people as well. Yeah. Um, Christy, as we're starting to run down on time, sure. uh, as I mentioned earlier, there's, I have a question for everybody's uh, right. season so i'm gonna ask you this season's question um this comes from me uh to me from a friend who is pertinent to this conversation because okay. uh, i mentioned her a number of times but i haven't just given her more descriptors she's an entrepreneur friend of mine okay. um and i'm trying to find the stat it was in one of these uh one of these research articles you'd had there's basically like there it is only two percent of women family companies in the U.S., for example, reach or exceed the U.S. $1 million in revenue mark. Mm-hmm. That would be her. Um, she's a very amazing woman, runs a very cool yeah. company. Um, she suggested this question to me because she's big on helping women succeed, yeah. helping people succeed, yeah. and knowing that this is a weak point for a lot of people. And the question that she wanted me to pose this year to everyone is, how do you celebrate your wins? Oh my goodness. I feel like I need to know her. Um, <laughs> I, I, can, like- <laughs> I can introduce you. I'm sure she'd love to talk to you. Um, and I don't like that question. Um, but it is so, it is, it's so interesting. Um, I, I think there's a couple of ways I can answer that. I think in, the workplace I I think making sure for for me the win is about the team uh, as well and sure you know I might have had 
a bigger role than others, a smaller role than others, but making sure that the, you know, and as I've moved through my career, this has been done for me as well, that the doors are open for, you know, my team that either reports into me or the, the new people um, coming, coming out of college, making sure that the credit is given where it's due and the win is for the team. Um, I don't know if I'm articulating that uh, exactly how I want to, but it is, um, for me, it's really important to, to make sure that I'm not celebrating a win alone in a room because it would never just be me. There would be a lot of people around. Um, so, and, and, and personally, I think, I tend to shy shy away from from that. So I I might do um, you know something uh, with my office door closed, but I I think for for me being able to to own the success and and, and not be shy about it. That's me personally. Um, to yeah to and to take motivation from it. So. Does that answer the question? I think so. I think so. I think you got it in. Um, Christy, if you want to learn more about UI, the programs, see what you're up to, any of that kind of stuff, where can they find you, do that, learn more? Absolutely. Yeah, every, everything, all my details, all our social media channels um, are on our website. So ey.com slash athlete programs. But pretty much if you search on any channel, it's just, EY Athlete Programs, and I'm sure we will come up where or on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we've got our website and my email details are on the website as well. So people can reach out directly if you have questions, want to get involved, want to talk about it. We we don't want to be the only voice in this conversation. We want to bring as, as many people into it as possible. So if you have great ideas, I would love to connect. Awesome. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Thanks so much, Jesse. It's been great.